Hey, um, we are continuing our series in conflict. Raise your hand if you were in any conflict over this last week. Raise your hand real high. Yes, thank you, thank you. Some of y'all married couples are straight up lying in church. Don't let them see. Because <laughs> if you've been married, there might be a little, a mini conflict at least over the past week. Um, but you know what? This series on conflict isn't just for married folks. Otherwise, we would have called it a marriage series. But it's not a marriage series. It's how to handle conflict in the church. It's how to handle conflict in your job. It's how to handle conflict in your marriage and with your kids and with the next door neighbor in general. But a big heart that I have even starting this series is just with the church, right? Like, how do we handle when we are upset in church is really important. And there is kind of this thing in West Michigan, and maybe it's in all of Michigan, and maybe it's in the United States, but I notice it here in West Michigan that people will leave churches over the most petty things in the world. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, somebody's really involved and they're really interested, and the next thing you know, something brushed them the wrong way and they're at a different church. And it's like, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind for his church. When he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. And when he says in the Bible, in the church, bear with one another's burdens. That means also, bear with one another's shortcomings. It's meaning also, forgive, you know, it also says, forgive your neighbor as Christ has forgiven you. Meaning that he knew that there was going to be conflict in the church and that we need to work through it. Especially those that have taken the step of commitment and saying, hey, I want to become a J-Road partner and I want to be a partner of this church. That's meaning I am committed. And when if you get in a little brush up with somebody who commented on the food you brought to the potluck and you leave churches, I got to imagine Jesus thinks, that's like divorcing your husband because he forgot to take out the trash. You know what I'm saying? You, you're, it's, it's Sunday night. The trash is supposed to go out. He forgot. So here's the divorce papers. But in church, you know, one song is off key in worship. And I'm going to go to a different church that has better worship. It's like, whoa, is this what Jesus had in mind for the powerful, unified church. And here's the thing. There is only one church, right? And so there's only one church. And there might be a bunch of different churches in Muskegon, but we are all part of the body of Christ. And when Paul wrote the church in Rome, there's just one church in Rome. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't leave and, you know, and go to another church. Like, they, that was it. They had to work it out out of covenant to their brothers and sisters for Christ. Now, I'm not saying there's not legitimate reasons to leave a church. Absolutely, I know there is. Like, if there's sin in the church and nobody's doing nothing about it, maybe you need to find a better church. But to leave over, like, the most pettiest of things. And, like, I get it. If you've been in church, you've seen it all, right? Like, somebody put, like, accidentally put nuts in the cookies that morning, and that's it. I'm out. <laughs> it's okay to laugh at that because it's true. But it's like... How are we going to be the army that God is raising up 
to defeat the spiritual forces of darkness when we don't have any patience for one another in the church. And we're quick to drop this church like a bad habit at the first sign of offense, right? Because guess what? I am going to offend you at some point along the way, right? Ask Jackie Carmine about how I offended her a couple weeks ago. <laughs> no, she forgave me. I don't mean to call her out. It was actually, Sharon was there. We were supposed to go to the Hope Project. Can I tell the story real quick? And it's, it's putting me on the spot. It's not her fault. She was very grace-filled. But you guys know I sent out the email saying we need help to go to the Hope Project to clean up their, their children's home. Like, they asked J-Road to help them. We got a bunch. We got Ken Danhoff, and we got uh, Rachel, and Sharon, and Jason, and a few other people. And we all went up to this place in the middle of nowhere in North Muskegon. And I had a bunch of people, like, tell me that they were interested. And Jackie's like, I'll be there, but I'll be there a little bit later. Well, we were way up, like, 40 minutes north in the middle of nowhere at this house. And we finished up early, and we all left and went home. And I forgot to tell her that we were done. So I'm sitting there eating dinner with my family and just enjoying it. And I get a call, and it's like, Jackie Carmine. And I'm like, oh, no. I was like, hello? And she's like, Jim, where is this place? And, I, and I'm, she's like, I, I, you know, I'm like, oh, we're not there anymore. It's done. And she was so grace-filled. She was so awesome and forgave me. But I could see people leaving the church over that, Right? And thankfully, we're more mature than that. But I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't expect that from them, but I would expect that from other people. Like, I've never been so offended. I had to drive all the way up there. I'm done. I'm going to go to poor city. <laughs> I hear their pastors never sinned. But I, what, you know what I mean? I'm like leaving church over the most petty of reasons. Like, this is part of the reason this conflict was birthed out of and now we have people leave church, we have people come, we have people go, and they're legit reasons. And I, my biggest heart when people leave is that they're plugged into a church. I don't want them to leave the family of God. But if you leave, I want us to have a conversation and figure out what's going on. Because if there's sin in the camp, I want to know about it, right? If it's because the lights were too bright, like, I want to talk about that too. <laughs> Can I think of any more petty examples? I'm, I'm all out of petty examples. but So guys, if we are going to be the church God wants us to be, we have to endure conflict. And that also means conflict with your pastor, right? That also means conflict with each other. Because it's going to happen. Because why? We're all humans. We all make mistakes. We're all fallible in some ways, right? And I mean, we should know this from all of the drama we went in through through COVID, right? In my opinion... Like, COVID season was the hardest season I've ever been through as a pastor. And I've been a pastor for like 16 years. COVID was the hardest season because we had people saying, now every church had people that said this, people that we love, is if you, if you don't open the doors, we're leaving the church. And we had another group that said, if you open the doors, we're leaving the church. I mean, what do you, how do you navigate that? And how do you shepherd th that? issue. And it was like, that was hard. And luckily we have, I mean, we, we didn't do everything perfect. We made some mistakes. We tried to do the best as we could. We, we made mistakes. But guess what? People, we talked it out. People forgave each other. We worked it out. Some people never made their way back, but a lot of people did, even though there was legitimate hurts and hardships, right? 
and we got through it, right? And I believe the church is stronger because of it. We need to build off that momentum and not leave for petty reasons. Because guess what? If you leave a church or a job for really petty reasons, it's only going to be a matter of time before you leave the next church or job for really petty reasons. And by the time you're at your third or fourth job or church, you're going to be like, have to look inside and be like, hey, maybe I'm, maybe I need to like stick it out here and, and figure this out. That makes sense? All right. All right, we're going to talk about idolatry today. And uh, this is like, I think part three or part four of the conflict series. And this means that um, conflict starts in the heart. Conflict starts in the what? In our heart, okay? Um, it says in 1 John 5, 23, it says this, little children, keep yourselves from what? Whoa, you guys took that off mad quick. Go back real quick, please. Little children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. Um, what is an idol? Does anybody kind of ask that questions about themselves? Like, what is an idol? Do I have idols in my own heart? And what is an idol? And how can we identify that? Because a lot of times if we have an idol, we might not be able to know. So my second question is, is what is an idol? And here's my little definition. It'll be up here. An idol is anything that we worship. It is anything that we depend on to make us happy, secure, etc. Or it's anything that we trust, serve, or depend on rather than God. That's a good example. It covers a lot of things. Um, Not like the Old Testament that many of us have like a graven image of a calf in our bedroom that we bow down to. Like that's not always the case with an idol. But it's something on the throne of our heart other than Jesus. And we always, we have to be vigilant about figuring that out. Um, So, as a little illustration, imagine this nice black table, if you guys can, everybody can see it real well. Imagine this table is a throne of our hearts, right? Whatever we put on this throne is going to be our Lord, Master, and driving force in our life. Whatever we put on the throne of our hearts. So, when we get saved, when we get saved, Jesus takes that place, right? We say, we not only want you to be our Savior, but we want you to be our Lord. So every decision we make, everything that we do goes through the King of our hearts, who is Jesus, right? And we can't have two things on the throne of our hearts, right? Like, what's another common idol? Oh, thank you. Somebody said alcohol, okay? I put drinking, but alcohol, whoever said that. Can we have two kings on the throne of our heart? Absolutely not. The Bible clearly says that. It says nobody can serve two masters, right? They said he'll either hate one and love the other, love one, despise the other. You can't have two masters. And so one is always going to reign supreme. And so we need to have Jesus on the throne of our hearts. Well, oftentimes, as our, because we all know that we have this thing called our flesh, and the flesh is always going to be competing for the throne of our heart. And 
Satan is going to put things in our life to dethrone Jesus and rethrone something else. Does that make sense? And we all have them. Like, we all have different things. And maybe, like, alcohol is, like, the king of your heart. It's where you base every decision. You know, like, I, I remember we get, my wife and I got married a long time ago, and um, at that time, like, we didn't have any alcohol at our wedding. And there are people who said, I'm not going to your wedding because there's no alcohol. It's like, is it may sound weird to you. It wasn't weird to me. I knew there were people that weren't going to come if there wasn't alcohol. That's telling me that the king of your heart is alcohol, and alcohol is the one calling the shots. And alcohol said, if I'm not being served there, you're not going. Right? Okay. Okay, that's just one example. Uh, what are some other ones? Oh, somebody said money. I heard money. Money is a ge- very general one. But Jesus talks about money taking control of the throne of our hearts and being king of our hearts. And it's where every decision, I'm sorry if I'm blinding everybody with his glare, but money takes the place of God and, 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 and money is always going to push us to take the place of God. You ask anybody, if you want to win the lottery, why do you want to win the lottery? It's because I have no more problems. You know, I don't know about you, but there's been times where I had to pray every time I started my truck. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I pray this is... Cr- Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God is good. Hey, if I had more money, I wouldn't have to do that anymore. Right? If I had the house I wanted, if I had the car I wanted, if I had the boat I wanted, if I took the vacations I wanted, if I had the clothes I wanted, I would be perfectly happy. And I believe God doesn't always want us in that place. The one thing that would destroy you is give you everything you wanted. Give you all the money you wanted, that would destroy you faster than anything. And so oftentimes God says no to that because he wants to be on the throne of your heart. Like he wants to be on the throne of your heart. Um, there's so many idols that we have. Uh, anybody think of something else that I might have wrote down? We're, oh, oh, who said sports? Oh, thank you. Sports. That's a big one, right? As I said, when you're trying to get your, like, two-year-old in the most competitive soccer league in the West Michigan because you think he's going to be the next, like, uh, whatever famous soccer player name is in the world, Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know soccer names. Um, Lionel Messi, is that Messi? Is that a guy's name? Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, famous soccer player. Uh, and it's like, we all know those kids' parents that, you know, my, my seventh grader is going to be the next LeBron James, so we're not going to go to youth group anymore. We can't go to church anymore. Um, we don't really have time to pray as a family anymore because everything has to go around this. And their kid gets into, like, ninth grade and says, I'm done with sports. And you weren't able to lay any spiritual foundation because your, your idol was this sports thing. Or maybe just your idol is, like, the Detroit Lions, and you have to go to every game, and you spend money and time and energy and you end up worshiping it, and you cry if they lose. And it's like, again, all of these things aren't bad. Like, believe it or not, money's not bad, right? Uh, money's not bad, but if we are not careful, it'll take the throne of our hearts. Um, here's another one. Sorry, I might offend somebody with this one. Our pets, all right? Sometimes our pets could just take over the throne of our hearts 
And every decision revolves around our pets. And, you know, like maybe here's a good litmus test if your dog is sitting on the throne of your heart is if he sleeps in your bed. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Because I know half of y'all sleep with your dogs in the bed, and I'm not saying nothing about it. Sleep and cuddle your pooch. I don't care. Jesus is okay with it, as long as it's not an idol. So for everybody else who made fun of the pets, what about the throne of our hearts? Our children take the place of Jesus. Like, that's a very real thing. You know, and I'm not saying that we need to abuse our kids or not love our kids. But there is a order that the Bible lays out for the family, right? And that is God comes first, your spouse is second, your children are third, everybody else is after that in, in proper place. Um, and if we prioritize our kids over everything else and just give our kids everything they want, we might end up spoiling our kids, this is a very real thing that we may be spoiling our kids rotten because we say yes to everything they want. And we know that we are called to be parents and there are such good things as no to our kids. The number one way, I said this earlier a little bit, the number one way God could destroy us is just give us everything we ask for. That's why he does it. Because he knows what's best for us. And you know what's best for us right now? is me and my wife to go out on a date and you kids to be with the babysitter for a little bit, and that's okay. And it's like not saying yes to everything. Um, some people's idols are their significant other, maybe their boyfriend or girlfriend. I mean, we know a lot of folks that worship their boyfriend or girlfriend. Some of them are our health, where it's like, you know, people who work out every day and like they have to do that and like it becomes an obsession, it becomes too much. Or maybe just taking medicine and going to the doctor five times a week, that's become an idol and all this stuff. You know, that's something. And last but not least, I'm saying this because the kids have left the building, but, uh, and if you're old enough, I'm sorry, but um, <clears throat> sex. I tried to find an emoji, but I figured the eyes were the best one. Um, <laughs> thank you for that laughter. It was really easy with pets and drinking, but it was really hard to find an emoji for sex. Um, I mean, all of these things are good things. Thank you, Anthony, for that chuckle. I needed that. All of these things are good things. The thing that we forget is God created sex to be enjoyed in the, in the confines of marriage, in the marriage between a man and a woman. And God thinks it's good. He created it. It's his design. But if it sits on the throne of our heart, it will destroy your marriage. And we will say, and we will say, and, and I'll talk about this in a minute, if this isn't being, if this need isn't being met, I'm going to get it met some other way. And then what God designed to solidify and strengthen our marriages has been the very thing that tore it apart. Because sex is now on the throne of our hearts rather than Jesus. Does that make sense? 
Men, like, we, God created us to live with food and water and oxygen. <laughs> we, we don't need this. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be a vital part of our marriages, but if you're not experiencing something as much as you thought you would, so I'm going to take it out on my wife. I mean, we miss the mark where Jesus says, husbands, love your wives the same way Christ loved the church. He didn't use and abuse them. And so, yes, this very much could be on the throne of our hearts if we're not careful. And so, these are all falling over now. Okay, there we go. Jesus is back on the throne of our hearts. Um, so, let's read James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'm going to lower this a little bit. If I can. Yeah, there we go. Okay. James chapter 4 says this. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Let's pray and as we, we unpack this. God, we love you. and Help us see the idols in our own hearts. And God, help us repent and lay our idols before you to put you back in the throne of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So, according to this passage, what is the root cause of conflict? Selfishness. Desires? Yeah. Um, you can click the next slide and reveal what the answer is, but it's the root cause of conflict is unmet desires in our hearts. Unmet desires in our hearts. Meaning that something else has replaced Jesus here, and I am not receiving it as much as I would like, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight and quarrel um, until I get it. Um, we want something, and we do not think we'll be happy until we get it. Whether it's money, whether it's a house, whether it's the perfect family, whether it's you name it. We want it, and we do not believe that we'll be satisfied until we get it. And soon that desire starts to control us. And if others do not meet our desires, we condemn them in our hearts and we fight harder to get our own way. If other people aren't meeting our desires the way we think they should, we begin to fight. You know, all of these things up here are good. Pets, children, you know, sex. These are all good things given to us as a gift from God, but they're never meant to be worshipped, and they make very poor gods. Right? Jesus is the only King of kings and Lord of lords that is meant to be the God in our lives. And whenever we try to replace that, we're going to come up significantly short and unsatisfied, and that's what causes fights and quarrels. So um, I'm going to go through these four um, progressions of an idol, and it goes like this, okay? So here's the four progressions of an idol. The first is, I desire. The second is, I demand. The third is, I judge. And the fourth is, I punish. D 
Desire, demand, judge, and punish. And, and I'll, I'll kind of break these down and how something that's good could become an idol in our lives. So the first one is I desire. So desires are not necessarily bad or wrong. It all depends on like the motive that we have for them, right? Problems occur. So what happens when we don't get our desire? And here's a good example. Like, like how a good desire can become bad, right? Like, I want my kids to get good grades, right? And so, like, I want them to get good grades, and I look at the report card, and they have all A's, they have one B, and I get upset. And I call them out. And we get into a conflict. Do I want them to have good grades so they excel in college, or do I want them to have good grades so the teachers think I'm a good parent. It's the same way with behavior, right? Like the pastor's kids, all the spotlight's on them. Do I want my kids to behave so they follow after Jesus? Or do I want my kids to behave so everybody thinks I'm a good pastor? Right? Both of them, you know, it's good to want our kids to behave, but one of them is an entirely wrong motive. And so we always need to ask ourselves, are the things I'm desiring, because we all have desires, all these things up here, we have, we have desires that revolve around them, but it happens when they cross over into an unhealthy desire. And so the Bible actually has a thing, a plan for that, and it's in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says this, we as Christians take every thought captive. Take, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is our job. So everything that comes our way, we need to evaluate, is this good? Is this bad? Does this honor Christ? Does it dishonor Christ? Is this going to make me closer in marriage? Is this going to pull us apart? And so we need to hold every thought captive. You might be saying, I don't have control over my thoughts. That's absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says we have self-control. That's just not control over our actions. That's control over our thoughts. Where a negative thought pops in our mind, we can hold that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's totally doable. A thought might pop in there, but we can hold it captive. The second is I demand. I demand. That's where we say, I deserve this. I've been a good husband. I deserve X, Y, and Z. And the more we want something, the more we think we deserve it. The more we want something, you know, like we work hard. I think we should go into debt like a lot more than we could afford to get this house. I know we said we'd only get a $300,000 mortgage, but I really think God wants us to have a $500,000 mortgage because we need a bigger living room to host MC because Pastor Jim's always telling us we need MC. So like, I deserve this. And then we make foolish decisions off an idol that we have without really making it obedient to Christ. So the more we want something, the more we think we deserve it. The more that we feel like we are entitled to something, the more that we are convinced that we cannot be satisfied without it. Does anybody here ever like shop new vehicles and decide not to buy one? It's like gut-wrenching for the first week. You were sitting in these nice leather vehicles, smelling nice, not a bit of rust on them, 
And then you go home and you feel sick and you're just like, oh, I got to go back to my car. I'm never going to be satisfied until I get this. And then you have people who actually have bought brand new vehicles and that joy and satisfaction and excitement wears off in about two weeks. <laughs> and then it's dirty. Then you got your wrappers on the floor. The excitement and joy is gone. But you know what's not gone? The payment book. The payment book's still there for like five more years. But the joy is gone. Nothing makes a better God than Jesus. So this is the point where we start to develop an idol. The third point is I judge. So when we judge, it's, it's we say something like this, I must get this, and if I don't, it's your fault. I want this new vehicle, and we would have had it if you would have just worked more. We would have had a house if you didn't buy that stupid boat. <laughs> Some of you are like, hey, I just had that argument. Um, in other words, we begin to judge others. Um, we begin to judge others. I, 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 we all know somebody who, if money is their idol, they start to look around and judge other people and say this, hey, I go to church every Sunday, I give, and I'm barely getting by. And this sinner over here is cheating on his wife and immoral in his job. He's driving these brand new vehicles and he has a lot of money. It's like then we start to like judge people because we're not getting our idol and the things that we want. Um, and this is characterized by a feeling of superiority, condemnation, bitterness, resentment. And this usually plays out in our marriages by this main point is this, is I'm not satisfied and it's your fault. I'm not satisfied. I think we have a slide for that. Is there some, oh, he's there. I'm sorry. I couldn't see if anybody's behind there, so I apologize. I just think this point is so important. I really want to get, hit it home. In marriages, especially, there might come across this point where it's, I'm not satisfied, and it's your fault. I'm not happy, and it's your fault. And get this. If Jesus is sitting on the throne of our hearts, and Jesus is truly the king of our hearts, Nobody should be able to steal our joy, amen? Like, like, I can't blame you for, like, robbing my happiness because my happiness can't be robbed. Isn't that right? Like, man, I am so, we want to get to the place where Jesus sits on the throne of our heart and we say, I am so happy, I'm so satisfied in the fullness and richness of Christ that nobody could take that away. Yeah, I, I need to work on my marriage. And it's actually not my wife's fault. It's actually my fault, some of these issues we're having. And everybody gets to these places and, and say, and we, we never should say, I'm not satisfied and it's your fault. Because we hear this a lot too. In our work is like, you know, this job is the reason I'm not happy. This job is the reason I'm not happy. So we quit and we get another job. And six months later, guess what? This new job is the reason I'm not happy. I need to quit it and get another job. Then we get another job. And we realize by the fifth or sixth job that we are just not happy anywhere we go. And maybe there's a problem on the throne of our hearts. 
Maybe Jesus isn't on the throne of our hearts, and maybe we're just wrestling with discontentment because we have idols on our throne of our heart other than Jesus. Does that make sense? Is this resonating with anybody? And so, you know, it goes back to James 4.1. It says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? I just thought I heard some beeping out there. I thought it was a garbage truck backing up. Um, and the last one is this, is I punish. I punish is, you are not giving me what I want or need. You're not, you're not meeting my idol, so I will punish you until I get what I want. So the last part of idol is I punish. Um, we all know in marriages sometimes where somebody doesn't get the, what they want and they, they punish the other people and it could look many different things. It could mean that we stomp around the house huffing and puffing or pouting. That is a form of punishment. Or giving our spouse the silent treatment. I'm just not going to talk to you right now and we give them the silent treatment for a couple days. And we do this at work. We do this at church. We, we may not know it, but we are punishing others because we are not satisfied because there are desires in our heart not being met. I'm not getting what I want, so you will suffer. And that's what we call like sinful manipulation. We see it everywhere. I'm not getting what I want. I have an idol on the throne of my heart that's not Jesus. It's not being met. So everybody's going to suffer because I'm upset. And so we put the blame on other people, and that's called sinful manipulation. When we pout or mope around, when we give our wife a silent treatment or our husband's a silent treatment, um, and that's not good. We punish people with our tongue. We put people down with our words. We belittle others. We gossip about one another. Gossip is, in the church is one of the highest forms of punishment. I'm not getting my way. It's your fault, so we judged. And I'm going to punish you by telling others what a turd you are. And you know when I'm going to do it? When you're not around to defend yourself. That's gossip. When we go around and we talk about how bad somebody is without them there to defend themselves, and that's our way of punishing others. We'll see. And our minds were like, now nobody in the church is going to like him. And actually, I'll come out looking better. And that's not good. Um, maybe you are sitting here today and you feel like that you have an idol, but you're just not sure and, and you don't know. So I have this, these, these questions and then I have a cure and then we'll be done in five minutes. So bear with me. I want us to look at these questions. Um, we can expose idols in our hearts by asking what I like to call x-ray questions where we look inside of our hearts, see what's there. Um, and so here are the five x-ray questions. What seems to always be preoccupying your mind? You don't have to answer that out loud, by the way. I don't know, I don't know if somebody just said that out loud, but this is just for you to introspect for a minute, like just to take like a minute and answer these questions in your heart. What, what always seems to be preoccupying your mind? Is it like that new thing? Is it the next, the next big thing? And is it, is it causing an obsession? Have you ever asked this question, number two, 
if only blank, I would be happy. If only this little thing in my life was different, then I'd be happy. That's like, a, that's like the perfect example to know that you probably have an idol in your heart. If I just had this, if I could afford this, if I can get this, if my spouse would do this, if the church would have this, then I would be happy. And Jesus is saying, I have the fullness of all your happiness wrapped up in the person of Christ. And you have it. You could experience joy and ending right now, but you're looking to other things. So have you ever asked, what if, if only blank, I'd be happy? Where do, you, where do I put my trust? When a certain desire is not met, I feel frustrated, resentment, bitterness, anger. Uh, is there something that I desire so much that I would hurt others to have it? Or is there something I desire so much that I would sin to have it? That I would sin to have it. So again, if, if sex is on the throne of your heart, you would go to pornography, which is sinful to the pits of hell, and you say, I deserve this because X, Y, and Z. So is there any desire that you would sin to have? That could be your idol. So think about those for a second. Can we pray for a second? I'm going to go to the last part. Worship team, you guys could come up here and get ready. Lord, I pray that we could all look at this and think about this, God, and I pray that you speak to our hearts and expose, even right now, God, idols that we have. God, break our hearts for these idols. In Jesus' name, amen. So there is a cure, I believe, for having idols in our heart, and it's this. Number one, repent and receive God's fresh forgiveness for today. You, Any time if you realize that you have an idol, you can stop and repent and say, I'm sorry, God, um, something was up here that was not you. Forgive me, and I just want to put you back up here above all else. And the Bible says when we ask forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive us instantly. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to do a single thing. He'll, he'll forgive us, and he loves us. Number two, learn to worship and delight yourself in the Lord. We have to constantly content ourselves in the Lord, keep him on the throne, and guess what happens? Even today, if you repent and say, I want to put Jesus up here, if you get lazy in your spiritual walk, your flesh will just automatically start putting things up there. Does that make sense? This will start creeping back in a couple weeks if you do not constantly pray and, and be in the Word and, and consciously put. Because until we get our new bodies, our flesh is going to keep putting things on the throne of our hearts. And so it's a daily struggle I know that might sound bad, but it's a daily struggle to keep Jesus first in our lives. Amen? And it's okay to say. That's why they're called spiritual disciplines. Because we need to discipline our body to open up the Bible every day or to listen to the Bible. We need to discipline our bodies to get up early to pray. 
We need to discipline ourselves to be kind to a stranger when we don't want to. And we need to tell ourselves every day, the throne of my heart belongs to Jesus. And I will not settle for any cheap idol. Amen? And be vigilant that we as a people are not going to settle for cheap imitations, but only for the real thing. Let's pray. God, help us keep you on the throne of our hearts this week. God, help us take our eyes off those things that we wish we had and we don't have yet and help us just be content in you and let you be on the throne of our hearts. God, help us repent of those things that are stealing our, your place in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.